Welcome to the smartest doctor in the room with your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell, interviewing the leading doctors in the country to get insights into the best medical treatments available today. Not everyone has access to the best specialists, but you can advocate for yourself and learn the right questions to ask your doctor and the best possible treatment options. Remember, what you know can make a difference in your healthcare. Welcome to the smartest doctor in the room. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. You know, I found an article I saved from the New York Times, actually in February of 2015. It was written by a science writer named Julie Reimeyer, and the title was A Disease That Doctors Refuse to See. In essence, Mrs. Reisenheimer wrote about her own battle with chronic fatigue syndrome and how she felt so many doctors she saw dismissed her diagnosis or seemed uninterested in finding out more to help her. My guest today, Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum, is quite the opposite of that type of doctor. Dr. Teitelbaum has spent at least 40 years, maybe more, of his career helping patients with chronic fatigue syndrome and advancing the latest information on that. He is the author of the best-selling book, From Fatigue to Fantastic. This is the third edition, and we're really quite excited. In another week or so, the fourth edition is coming out. It will be green in color, he just told me, so please be on the lookout. I can't tell you how many of my patients that I see in New York City have come in with this book, marked up, dog-eared, and asking me the most excellent questions on how they can help themselves. I've been really fortunate to know Dr. Teilbaum for about 10 years. My wife, Dr. Ricky Mitchell, and I were involved with the Fibro and Fatigue Centers that were established back in 2010. Dr. Teilbaum was the medical director there, and he helped oversee so many of the protocols that they were using in various centers around the country. We'll get to his what's called SHINE protocol, which he developed, and, and there's probably new advances in that. So without any further delay, it's my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Jada Teitelbaum to the podcast. Dean, it's awesome to be with you and with your viewers today because so many of you are suffering with a human energy crisis, whether it's fatigue, brain fog, insomnia, chronic pain, uh, or in its most severe form, chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia. These are all reflections of that problem. So we're going to teach you how to optimize energy production, how to make your fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome go away if you have that. And even for those who just have day-to-day fatigue or pain, how to address that naturally as well. And I like to use a mix of both natural and prescription therapies. I like to use a whole toolkit. We're going to get to that. And we're going to get really, what I love you know, to be able to do in this kind of forum, a podcast, is to get really drilled down and get even personal. You know, patients with chronic fatigue syndrome have heart-wrenching stories. They, they are too ill to work. Sometimes they're too ill to care for themselves. Sometimes their whole life and their family life falls apart. And this was quite interesting. Actually, I think it was about a year or two ago, there was a documentary, I think it was on Netflix by Julie Bree, titled Unrest that was about her whole battle with chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Pinebaum, I want to ask you, because in your book, you do, you open up with your own story of chronic fatigue syndrome. And could you please share with us a little bit? I mean, you mentioned how I think you were at a pediatric lecture and all of a sudden you were this healthy, vibrant guy going to medical school. And then it cascaded into you leaving medical school. 
I think you mentioned you were homeless for a while. Could, could you tell us your story, that what you remember, if it's still pretty vivid in your mind? <laughs> it seemed to me the biggest curse that ever happened, and it turned into the biggest blessing. It's funny. I was paying my own way through medical school my, and college. My dad was dead, finished college basically about two and a half years because he paid by the year. So I was doing 60 credits a semester. And I was just kind of rolling through things. And medical school and, and my work was the easiest part of my life. I'm like, I came from a family that was a basically concentration camp community and a survivor community and the rest. And they all went through meltdown. Um, and I landed up putting myself in the middle, fool that I was, trying to be the peacemaker. Mm. And it was funny. I mean, my uncle literally came to my apartment, you know, my place where I was in medical school and had a heart attack in my living room. It was like one of those TV sitcoms. Like, wow. you know, they're all trying to manipulate me in different ways. Right, right. Wow. You know. Oh, yes. And basically that put me my energy on the edge with everything I was doing. Uh, came down with a nasty viral, what I call the drop-dead flu. And the blood test showed this high atypical lymphocytes stress. They couldn't identify the virus. But six weeks later, I was still non-functioning. And all the professors were trying to figure it out. And then they figured, well, it must be what they call med student depression and the rest. But eventually, I just non-functional. I had to drop out of medical school. And since I couldn't work, I found myself homeless sleeping in parks. Wow. And it was as if the... Universe hung a holistic homeless medical school sign on my park bench. All these. When was this? It was like 1970s or so? I mean, just. 1975. Wow. Okay. That's now been uh, 45 years that I've been working with soldiers. And they all taught me bits and pieces herbalists, naturopaths, energy workers, physicians would come and find me sitting on my park bench. And if they had some pizza with them, I would actually eat that day. Wow. I was able to go back to medical school. And it's funny when you've been on the other side of the white coat, because so many of you have the experience that you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I don't know what's wrong with you. You're crazy, which, by the way, is abusive and totally unacceptable. I'll tell Agreed. you what. Agreed. Yeah. But I've been, uh, we've treated successfully thousands and thousands of people with this illness. We have five studies that are published or submitted so far for publication on effective treatment, a number of other studies as well. This is a very, very, very treatable illness unless you rely on most doctors to treat you. You know, well, you're making a great point. I think I just want to listen to the listeners to say, I actually mentioned this in a prior podcast, but Bernie Siegel, who I'm sure you're familiar with, one of my favorite doctor philosophers, and he had a great line in, in one of his lectures that I had on one of my old uh, Betamax tapes where he, uh, he said, the doctor is the tourist in the land and the patient is the native. And I think in a sense, you, you're really both. I mean, you were a native obviously, in this land of chronic fatigue syndrome, and obviously, as a doctor, caring for thousands of patients, I wouldn't really say you're a tourist, probably much deeper than that, but I guess it gets to my next question, that I sometimes call myself the 10th doctor, because most of the patients I see have been to nine other doctors, Mm -hmm. minimum, Mm -hmm. and why do you feel that still so many conventional doctors don't believe that chronic fatigue syndrome is a real illness, but sort of a composium of psychiatric and just somatic complaints. Why are they so uncomfortable in evaluating treating these patients? Well, what you'll see with many complex illnesses that affect predominantly women, if you look at multiple sclerosis, that used to be called hysterical paralysis. 
lupus used to be considered a neurosis. And fibromyalgia is simply one in a long line of illnesses. So what these illnesses have in common is one, they're very complex. So most doctors don't want to take the time to learn how to treat them. It's much easier to just go and blow people off. Two, they affect predominantly women, as most immune illnesses do. And the if you look at the medical word hysteria, it comes from the Latin hystero for uterus, mm. which gives you an idea that the medicine, even with half the women being doctors, now the institution equates hystero or being female with hysteria. Yeah, that wouldn't go on now with the Me Too movement. They would correct that very quickly. <laughs> but you're right. Those are, it's fascinating the, you know, where the etiology of these terms come from. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and it's just easier to go ahead, and the insurance companies encourage it because they don't want to pay out the benefits that they legally, for disability and for healthcare. Right. Right. So it's almost this cult of silence of, we don't want to mess with it. We don't want to pay the money. It's mostly women who can't defend themselves. Right. And who else to better handle that way? So if you go to a doctor and the doctor says fibromyalgia, you know, and starts to imply to you and your family that it's all in your mind. Right. Get up, walk over to the doctor, look him in the eye, and tell him, thank you for letting me know quick and early on what a complete and utter fool you are mm. so I don't waste my time with you and yes. turn around and out yeah. I've, I've seen patients who've come to me like who've had that experience so it, it is brutal I, I want to ask you something too we'll move on a little bit it's that it's interesting because again I, you know we know doctors I, I have my two theories about unfortunately medical training <laughs> you know doctors like nice neat clean things that fit into the, the textbook. And what I tell patients sometimes too, because sometimes they'll ask me, like, I'm sure like yourself, like how come my doctor doesn't believe in this or do that? And what I say to them is a lot of very bright people go into medicine and with good intentions, but also the training, especially the first couple of years, is believe it or not, multiple choice exams. There's A, B, C, and D, and sometimes there's all the above and none of the above. And that's how you progress to show how smart you are. But the bottom line is on those tests, there's always an answer at least, quote, a right answer. And all of a sudden, I found even myself, you get into private practice, into real life, take care of hundreds of patients. And you know what? There isn't always a textbook answer. And you have to be willing, like you were when you were, your days battling with chronic fatigue syndrome, be open to the possibilities and learn from even people who don't have degrees. And if that all incorporates into your gestalt of how you can help a patient. But this is the other big thing that, that I want to talk to you about that I think it really bothers a lot of doctors, you know, even rheumatologists who tend to, in the conventional world, see a lot of chronic fatigue patients, is that there was lack of a standard lab test. And I want to ask you this, too, because I was researching this a few years ago. 2017, Mark Davis and Jose Montoya out of Stanford, they put out a nice paper. It was, it was pretty interesting showing, and they're both immunologists, and they, they wrote a paper what they called about immune signature. And uh, I think my listeners are going to find this very fascinating because it relates to COVID now, that they found in chronic fatigue patients versus healthy patients, and I believe even rheumatoid arthritis patients, that there was a difference in what's called cytokine profile, that certain inflammatory markers was clearly elevated in these patients compared to healthy control patients, and even, I think, to rheumatoid autoimmune arthritis patients. So I want to just ask you if you have anything to offer. That, and we're going to get into a lot of other things that you do in evaluating patients, but just on, on this basic level, anything that 
you find striking from those papers or anything? I mean, do you look at cytokine levels in patients with chronic fatigue? I don't personally do it because it does not affect my treatment approach. Okay. What you will find, for those of you who are wondering, is this a real disease? Absolutely. There are dozens of abnormalities on the lab tests that are commonly seen. The thing is that there's no single one test that is only abnormal in this disease and not in anything else. Right. For That's example, somebody has a very high blood sugar, they're a diabetic period. Somebody has a very high blood pressure, they're hypertensive. Right. Where this is a much more complex multisystem disease. So there are less severe but devastating permutations and literally dozens of different tests. But it's not only seen in this disease. You can see this permutation in eight other diseases, this permutation mm. in others. Uh, the bottom line for diagnosis there's very, very simple test that works very, very well. And I asked the person, are you exhausted? Yes. And do you have trouble sleeping? Yes. So you can't sleep even though you're exhausted and you don't have anything else overt and then it doesn't go away the vacation. You have the process. That paradox of can't sleep despite exhaustion tells you that there's hypothalamic dysfunction in play. You basically trip the circuit breaker. And really, that's all you need, because even if it's being triggered by other diseases like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, that can't sleep even though exhausted paradox. It tells you this fibromyalgia process or CFS process is going on. It's not simple. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's good for listeners to know. In your books, in the different editions from Fatigue to Fantastic, you know, you talk about the SHINE protocol which I found to be super helpful. You know, because when I got involved with this with my wife 10 years ago, I, I gave the example. I, I said to my wife, Ricky, I said, you know, because uh, I had to help out in the office when she, she wasn't feeling well at one point and get involved in this. And I, I have an immunology background, infectious disease background. But I said to her, I felt like I was thrown in the ocean. And every, <laughs> in every direction that I looked, I didn't see land. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was that complex dealing with these patients initially. But really through a lot of hard work, and I did the same thing that Ricky did, my wife, I studied at night your book, I looked at articles, and every patient became my teacher to hopefully get better at treating the patients. But I want to focus on the SHINE protocol just quickly for the listeners. is S stands for sleep, H is for hormones, I is for infections and immune dysfunction, N is for nutrition, and E is for exercise. But I want to focus on one of them right now because I think it's so relevant to what's going on in the world today. I want to discuss the infectious component if we can. Mm -hmm. You mentioned in your own story, you, you felt there was some kind of viral illness, which they couldn't find out that caused it. Now, clearly, we have COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And COVID-19, as we all know, and I've done podcasts on this, it's frightening on so many levels. One, obviously, there's the mortality rate in, in at-risk people. So that alone, people are afraid. This is obviously much deadlier than the flu. The second thing is people tend to get really ill acutely. But now what's coming out, and I just cut this out of the paper today, too, it was the New York Times. Now, Sonny actually has a whole clinic for COVID-19 chronic disease patients. And they're getting this name called long haulers. <laughs> that's, that's the new term for this. Meaning these are patients that are suffering like with chronic fatigue and a lot of other symptoms that, again, sound very much like chronic fatigue, which you diagnosed and have treated over the years. So my question is, what insight can you give to patients and the doctors if they feel it's an infectious etiology? I mean, if it's also like, you know, a lot of patients come with Epstein-Barr, which we have to sort through because I always feel like Epstein-Barr is a marker, not necessarily the actual cause in these chronic patients. So I was just curious. I mean, I, I'm interested to know, like, 
because as you know, there's just so many factors involved in chronic fatigue. But when you have one, you think it's a clear cut infectious. Like if a patient traveled to Africa, came back and they ruled out everything, but they're really sick or a patient had severe, you know, Epstein-Barr infectious mononucleosis. Do you treat that differently? Because I know uh, we'll talk about some of the things you trained Ricky and I to do, but I was just curious, again, your if you look at the patient a little differently than you would if somebody had like obviously some type of traumatic life thing where they went through a divorce and it was all stress, which causes illness in its own way. So, Well, you know, it's not rocket science. If somebody comes in saying, I had a nasty flu-like symptom or flu-like right. illness and it never went away and I'm constantly feeling like I have the flu, ain't rocket science. <laughs> yeah, but how, how would you so, what, say, like, you know, you have your shine protocol. Do you alter it? Is there something? I'm, I'm going to tell you something that I learned from you, but I was just curious again to hear what you do. You focus on something in particular, or, or you really just do well, the full shine protocol? Or well, here's the thing, Dean. Yeah, the reason that they're getting persistent disease yeah. is not because of the virus. They're getting mm. per- these are not horrible mutant right. viruses. These are just run-of-the-mill viruses like Epstein-Barr, CMV, right. HV6. That over 90% of the population has had. So you really need to tune up their entire body, especially getting the sleep and nutritional support, getting adrenal support. These are critical things for immunity to act properly. And then I will go with the Famvir, Cyclovir, or... Oh, you will use some of those too? Okay. I use Famvir and Celebrex, that combination. I usually tend to start with that. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't work and they have HHV6 or CMV, very, very high titers, I go with the Valcite. Equilibrant from suspecting enterovirus. And this is all in the book. How do you tell, okay, what yeah. makes you think one, what makes you think right, the other? Right. How do you dose it? And it's, it's all yeah. there. On the other hand, if I have somebody who's having more chronic lung congestion, scalp scabs, uh, there are a number of things that make me think more antibiotic sensitive. And I'm going to go ahead then and consider a trial of doxycycline or erythromycin or Cipro. Although Cipro, you need to be a little more careful with than the others. And We'll go with these different things. The testing is not very helpful for the infection. Right. More right. a matter of history and right. see what works. You know what I learned, though, I think from you, from not only your book, because you mentioned it, but also when we spoken to you or there was like sometimes you had like these group uh, seminars for the centers. And it's so funny because it, it, it actually awakened my earlier training. My background, as I mentioned, is in immunology. I actually trained during the AIDS crisis in the uh, mid, late 1980s. And I also, as part of my fellowship in immunology, I did immune deficiencies. And we used to use IV gamma globulin there. So I was fascinated when, as part of the centers, fatigue centers, you had recommended intramuscular gamma globulin. Mm-hmm. And I know when I first saw this, I was like, huh? Why, why, why are we doing this? I mean, why would I do this? These people are not immune deficient. And, but then That's I started to think about, no, well, well, listen to this, but this is how I, I, I've learned, as I said, gathering all these things. So I started to really think about it. And actually, first I saw my wife, Dr. Ricky, who's, I always say is the smarter doctor in my practice. I saw her giving it to the patients and they were getting better, especially if they had it also, I mean, a lot of the patients with chronic fatigue were getting better with, but particularly if it, there was some type of infectious related one that we thought was delayed, we did if it was Lyme or something else. And I started doing it. And I started seeing, not in every case, but in a reasonably good amount of cases, patients improving. And this is how I came to grips with this. I started to think about it, and I said, okay, what's really fascinating about gamma globulin is that obviously in an immune deficient patient, when I would see like a bubble boy child, we gave that and to protect them so they don't get infection and die. But gamma globulin has so many anti-inflammatory properties 
And it's so much safer than oral cortisone, like prednisone. And because I know patients that were on prednisone, maybe they got a little better, but then it was causing all these other side effects. But the people like through a series of gamma, as you recommended in your protocols, this started to pull them out because I believe it reduced that constant inflammation that those like cytokine cell markers were giving. So I, I had to thank you for that because I, it pulled out a lot of people. I've, I've taken care of doctors and nurses that had to stop working because of this type of situation. So, and one of the markers I will mention, which again, we've talked about this actually, I don't know if you'll remember, but I, cause I called you once I said, Dr. Teitelbaum, I, sometimes I see these patients, you know, I can't find anything else wrong with them, but they have an elevated CRP. And a lot of the cases of Dean, that's the inflammation. So, uh, do you still feel gamma? It's uh, it's uh, important. Here, here's what we're seeing. As we're seeing a lot of, there's a family of antibodies. You can think of these as the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines. And for the IgG1 and 3 are the ones we're finally coming back low, mostly the 3 and the IgG1s. Basically, so if you look at an inventory of your armed forces that defend your body, there are specific defects that are going on. But here's an interesting thing. We just submitted a study for publication of a treatment called recovery factors. Yes. Actually, a serum protein extract. And what we found is that it increased antibody levels, including the subsets, an average of 14%, which is quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And we saw that 60% of people improved markedly with an average average 69% improvement in overall quality of life. And in energy, pain went down, sleep improved, cognition improved dramatically, gut function improved. So you can go ahead and affect these antibody things. The IV gamma globulin is insanely expensive. It's about 80000 a year. Mm. You have to get the insurance approval, which is difficult. The intramuscular is cheaper and can be. Absolutely, yeah. And the recovery factors for me is replaced that. Really? Oh, wow. I'm, very, I'm really excited. I know you sent me that paper. Uh, I want to move on to something else, too, another part of the SHINE protocol, because I think it's getting into what you were just uh, slightly alluding to, was the end, the nutritional part of it and the supplements. Now, again, I learned so much from you. I, I was totally in the dark about this when we first started treating these patients, but all the, the key, what you call mitochondrial support. And when I sit down in patients and I talk to them, I don't know how other doctors feel, but when I sit down with a patient, what I typically say to them, and I, cause I draw out a little diagram, you know, about what a mitochondria looks like. And I said, look, we got to go back to eighth grade science. And a lot of them are like, Ooh, I do remember that. But I said, yeah, I know we all wanted to forget about it. But as you like to explain, it's the powerhouse of the body's cells. And what I found so interesting again, was how you felt that you can, help that mitochondrial support with certain supplements. Would you mind like telling the listeners a little bit some of the key things? Because again, I've shared this a lot of time with patients and seen the results because I, I don't like when patients are taking a hundred supplements. It's not only expensive, it's time consuming. Sometimes they don't tolerate uh, several of them, but you've identified some key supplements that you really feel help the mitochondria. So maybe you could share that with the listeners. Well, that's the thing. I don't like people being part of the handful club where they're taking handfuls of pills. Yeah, all day. It's, it's a job. And so we'd like to organize it. And it's not that hard to do. So I'd mentioned about the recovery factors. I didn't say it's so early that people can't even find it if they search yeah. on it. So the website is www.recoveryfactors with an S at the end.com. So that's okay. where people can find it. 
So when you look at nutrients to optimize uh, mitochondrial function, I uh, hear a couple key, two key mixes you can do that you can do in one drink and two capsules a day. That will supply literally over about 70 key nutrients while also replacing about 50 pills. So it's easy to compact the stuff down. And what I recommend that people begin with, one is the energy revitalization system. It's a multivitamin, multimineral, where one drink, like I said, has 50 key nutrients. Because the B vitamins at optimal levels, magnesium, these are some of the very, very, very foundational things of energy production. And then ribose, we found that we've published two studies now, the ribose increased energy an average of 61%, even by itself in people with fibro. So it's very dramatic. Ashwagandha dramatically improves stamina. So for those who would post-exertional malaise, the rhodiola also helps that, helps adrenal function, licorice. So you can get the ribose and five key herbs together in something called the smart energy system. So what I have my people do, the, you can get the smart energy system and the energy revitalization system on my website at nfatigue.com. It's available on Amazon. So I just have people take the smart energy system and the energy revitalization system, take it all in the morning. Like I say, one drink, two capsules, not expensive. And most people find that this more than doubles their energy. Wow. So it's not a hard place to begin by optimizing mitochondrial uh, energy. You know, a key thing also, I just want to let the listeners know if they've been listening to my podcast. I had actually Stephen Sinatra. I don't know if you're familiar. You may know him, right? He's a terrific yeah, guy. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because he's written books about cardiac metabolism. And he also is a huge, that's what I found so fascinating between like your two worlds. So he's recommending his book in the past, D-ribose, CoQ10 or ubiquinol, and I think acetyl-L-carnitine, which is get something you recommended for chronic fatigue, which is it's fascinating because it's, Dr. Sinatra hasn't even mentioned, I think he had one or two patients come off a transplant list, a cardiac transplant list, just by taking D-ribose and CoQ10. So it just shows you, obviously, the heart is a big muscle and those mitochondria need to function. So again, this all makes sense. That's what I want the listeners to realize. This is not just taking a bunch of supplements, not knowing, is this doing anything? They want some bang for their buck. And uh, I've, I've found, again, too, that in recommending to patients with your protocols and your formulations that they get results, which is obviously what so many of the doctors and people are skeptical at times about. Well, it's all about energy production, whether it's the heart. Uh, and what Steve is doing is he's basically optimizing an energy production while focusing on heart disease. Right. And again, the things I noted and, and the things he needed, these are in common between our protocols. It's funny, I, I met a fellow who is an engineer who's in Hawaii, and uh, he based, I was talking with him and his wife, and it turns out his doctor said, you have two months to live, you have horrible heart failure. Wow. And... Uh, you're going to die in, two, in the next two months. And the wife said, you're not going to freeze to death in Alaska. If you're going to die, you'll die where it's warm in Hawaii. And I'm just talking to these folks. And the doctor said, there's nothing you can do for him. And I, I told him, your doctor's right. There's nothing they can do for you. Mm-hmm. And I gave them the regimen you just noted. Two years later, I get an email back from this guy. You saved my life, was the wow. subject matter. Wow. So these things that optimize energy that Steve was talking about, because they really are the same Right. Oh, absolutely. That's why I said when I was like learning your protocols, and then I came across some of his work. It's actually through Suzanne Summers, who I had met, and then I saw she had interviewed him in her book, which I really liked a lot, called Toxic. Mm-hmm. Uh, she interviewed a lot of terrific people, and 
So when I started to see a lot of things, you know, that he was talking about, which obviously overlap what you're talking about, just coming from different directions or dealing with different illnesses, that's my aha moment when I said, you know what, there's something to this. And then obviously having the confidence to keep on recommending it to patients, you get to see the results. Yeah. When, when you have, that's what uh, you'll find in the series, that you're going to have all these different doctors who are very bright, yeah. all who have come to the same conclusions on their own, despite the drug company advertising saying, this is the way to go, you know, whatever the newest, most expensive medication that exactly. you see is toxic and doesn't work, or saying there's nothing that can be done for this disease. You have all these people who come to the same conclusion. It was very reaffirming to me when I was starting in, in holistic medicine, and I had all these things, I was going, well, this can't be so. Everybody would know what to be talking about. I must must be misunderstanding something. But yes, when you see all these people who are very bright coming to the same conclusion on their own, that is an There's something there. Yeah, that's a... I want to ask you, too, you know, obviously both of us being physicians and being able to write a script. You know, one of my favorite lines I like to put on my website is I said, any doctor can write a prescription, a really good holistic doctor doesn't need to. But the thing is, we still have the ability to do that. And there are times where it's needed. Now, what's interesting to me, I mean, so many patients also, when they came to me, seeing that I was working with you and following your protocols, typically came in, they'd seen a rheumatologist for chronic fatigue syndrome. And some of them had fibromyalgia. And they were on Cebalta, Sevilla, you name it. A lot of these medications, I never saw one patient better on them. I guess otherwise they wouldn't even be coming to see me. But I do want to ask you, because I have seen patients that we've worked together with, that they're sometimes on Adderall or Florinep. So where do you think the place is for certain medications? I mean, when do you say to yourself, okay, the supplements are not enough, this is too dramatic a case or a severe case? What's your threshold saying, okay, now it's time to, to go to some medications in addition to... Uh, I don't have a thing inherently against medications. I just okay. have a thing against the way they're used in this country, which is based on profit and not, not on science or sanity. Okay. Um, so many medications are extraordinarily toxic. So what I look at is what's your relative risk versus your relative benefit. In most people with this illness, I will use a mix of natural and prescription sleep aids. There's revitalizing sleep formula, terrific seas. Hemp Select, which is a wonderful hemp oil, has been a game changer for a lot of people. I have them taken three to five capsules at bedtime. And what does that do for them, the hemp, the hemp it oil? It has hemp oil. It has a whole hemp oil. Not and what does just, it do? What do you, you find it helps their energy or it, their sleep? It helps sleep? their energy. It helps them sleep. Okay. It helps knock out pain. And right. it helps uh, decrease anxiety. It's just right. really, it's funny. It seems to either be a game changer or do nothing. And I'll, I'll give three of the hemp select twice a day and five at bedtime. But I will use that brand because there's a lot of quality control issues with the hemp oil. A lot of it's basically caca. Just, really? mm, there's yeah, nothing in the bottle. It's in the song, but they spend the money on advertising. Um, but then with the medications, I, I find that to initiate sleep, to help people fall asleep, Ambien is a very good medication. And yes, some people sleepwalk or do other things in their sleep. So you don't want to take the first dose when you're first getting on an airplane. You want to make sure you're not going to be dancing right. naked in the, on the aisles. But <laughs> um, but it's a very reasonable medication, this disease. Trazodone at the low dose, 50 milligrams. Flexural, 5 milligrams. Yeah, I found flexural to be very good for the chronic, for the fibromyalgia patients because it, it seems, in some patients, it's been remarkable. But what about also just for these chronic fatigue patients have no energy? I mean, do you... Will you use the Adderall? I've seen like the Adderall on some patients. You know, I think depends. the Adderall is... 
overused and hyperactive kids and underused in CFS and fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. It optimizes dopamine. It helps the orthostatic intolerance or POTS. It basically can be very, very helpful. And as long as people are keeping it to 20 milligrams a day or less, I've never seen anybody get addictive issues mm-hmm. uh, at 20 milligrams a day or less. I think that it is underused and can be very, very helpful. You know what I also find underused, which again, I learned from you and I have used with patients with success is the Fluorinep. And I just want the listeners to understand what that's for. That's an adrenal, essentially adrenal type of hormone. And what's very interesting in chronic fatigue is that you have patients that tend to run very low blood pressures. I mean, I, th- I think it puts them at risk. Now, women can, in general, tend to have a little bit lower blood pressures than men. But when I see even a woman that comes in with a blood pressure of 90 over 60, that, that's just her normal blood pressure. I sometimes say to them, and they're having all this severe chronic fatigue and other things are going on, I said, you know what? Your blood pressure dips five or 10 points in a day for whatever reason, you know, how something in the, in the atmosphere or just whatever's going on in your body you're now in a state of where your body doesn't want to be, you know, fully erect. And I will check their baseline cortisol levels before I start it, and aldosterone levels. And in some of the cases too, I'll, I'll check, as you were mentioning, like, you know, in adrenal fatigue, their like, the saliva test just to see the, the levels throughout the day. So I was curious if, if that's, again, something that you tend to see a lot with the chronic fatigue patients, the basically borderline hypotension, low blood pressure. Well, if you look at shine, we talk about yes. SH, yeah. H, we talk about hormones, but yeah. it also is hypotension. Mm, well, uh, I didn't know that. Okay. Which is uh, basically orthostatic intolerance. We are set up, if you think of it, we're a big bag of water. We stand up, what's gravity going to do to our blood? It all goes down to the legs. Right. And uh, to become an upright species, we had to develop the ability to go ahead and send that blood back up to our brain and muscles and the mm. rest. That's called the autonomic nervous system. And we talked about people tripping a circuit breaker called the hypothalamus, small almond-sized area in the brain that controls sleep hormones, and autonomic function. So all those are, that circuit breaker's gone off. So when people stand up, the blood goes to the legs, stays there. And then after a while, the brain starts to get fuzzy and they get pain and the whole thing. So there's a simple quiz that people can do in one minute. It screens for the orthostatic intolerance. Also, there's a 10-minute pulse test where if you check your pulse when you've been sitting quietly for a while, then you go ahead and you stand up and every minute for 10 minutes, you check your pulse. And if it goes up more than, well, technically more than 30 beats a minute any time relative to sitting, that documents orthostatic intolerance, whether it's called POTS or NMH. Mm-hmm. So... For those who would like, my they can email me. My personal email is fatigue, D-O-C, so fatigue.doc at gmail.com, and you can ask for the orthostatic intolerance information sheet. It will have the quiz on it. It'll tell you how to do the pulse test. Then we'll talk about the midodrin, which is very, very helpful, Florinuf, DDAVP, and a host of other treatments, increasing salt and water intake, compression stockings. Right. Uh, these can dramatically improve people's stamina and can help brain fog. So, yes, the Florinuf, I find, works better in younger populations, and the rest tends to work better in those over 20. Do you think, which kind of patients do you think need that tilt table test, which obviously nobody really would enjoy going through? <laughs> it's hard oh, to yeah, do it well. There's, there's a very select group of people that I do tilt table testing on. It's nobody. Really? Because you feel it doesn't add, it doesn't add any value to let, let, the treatments? I, I can go ahead and have you check your pulse after 10 minutes. Yeah. It's just free. 
Right. I can have you do a soul table test for two grand. It'll make you sick as a dog. Right. <laughs> okay. A good point. That's why I like talking to Dr. Teitelbaum. You know, you get the practical uh, information. You know, it's interesting that uh, Julie Reimeyer in the article that I read, right at the end after she was obviously so discouraged by all of her physicians, eventually one doctor gave her rituximab, which is actually used, I believe, for lymphoma. And there are other autoimmune drugs. Have, do you find those ever really have any... No, you're shaking your head. So I, I know the listeners might not see it, but the video, they'll see it. So, okay, I just wanted to throw that out there because I think we've kind of covered the medications because people ask. So, okay, I want to ask you because it's funny. I did a whole, it's very interesting. I did a podcast also earlier with Paul Marek, who's a very interesting guy. He's actually, he took a lot of heat, but he had shown several years ago in, in, in studies that he published showing IV vitamin C mm-hmm. along with cortisone to help people prevent from going on ventilators with, with sepsis and stuff like that too. And then he started doing this with COVID and again, got a lot of flack. Mm-hmm. Uh, I interviewed him. I think he's a really bright guy and sounds very practical. So what mm-hmm. I want to ask you is this, you get a call, Dr. Tylebell, maybe a month from now, especially after your book comes out. And a, a person who calls you up says, Dr. Tylebell, I had COVID-19. I was diagnosed legitimately with nasal swab. And, you know, it was a pretty bad couple of weeks, but now I'm just still, I'm just exhausted. I'm, I'm just dragging myself. You know, Chris Cuomo, who's like a big CNN anchor is saying he's battling. He just doesn't feel right. He's got brain fog, you know, the things that doctors used to never like to hear and saying just doesn't feel right. He doesn't have the energy that he used to. What would you, again, I know this is kind of in this preliminary stage now, but again, with your kind of expertise, what would you tell somebody like Chris Cuomo if he called you up and said, I just I have no energy. I you know, I have to do my CNN things. I you know I usually yeah. travel, do stuff. What would you recommend he, he take? I tell him this. I tell him this is really treatable. I mean, we have okay. seen for dozens of viruses, when the SARS virus, the MERS virus, research shows that about thirty to forty percent of people who had those cousins to the COVID right. had post-MERS, persistent fatigue, and other symptoms. Basically, even Dr. Fauci has noted that this long-hauler syndrome is suggestive of uh, post-viral chronic fatigue syndrome. And we know, I know from having had it myself and treated thousands of people with post-viral chronic fatigue syndrome, that this is very, 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 very treatable. So using the SHINE protocol, there's no reason why COVID-19 would not be just one more virus doing this and all and plenty of evidence that it is. And it's just one more virus that trips that hypothalamic circuit breaker in the brain. If you turn it back on with the SHINE protocol, people get their life back. They feel healthy. Yeah, what about also, again, something I learned from you was the IV vitamins, which we've been doing now in our office. It's interesting. Ricky and I have been doing it for, we've been practicing 30 years. We, we did it pretty early on. She had learned from somebody else, but then we really refined it when we learned your protocols. What do you think that their place is? I mean, I hear doctors running around giving themselves weekly IV vitamin drips. Do you, do you think it has a place in these post-COVID patients or in preventing not so much for prevention, but in early treatment, uh, I think giving the IV vitamin C, and if you have glycerizin, I would absolutely throw the glycerizin. Glycerizin, in. what does that do again? That, that's it's the, an antiviral that uh, okay. does have activity against COVID. Okay. Oh, it's licorice. That's what oh, that right. Is. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you ever eat so, real licorice, it doesn't taste that great. It's not as like the candy. <laughs> yeah, candy licorice in this country has no licorice in it. <laughs> I know. So, it's very sad to find that out. <laughs> but, but the licorice raises adrenal function and it's right. shown hepatitis. Well, so uh, does vitamin C. That, that's something actually that was so fascinating. There was something that Dr. Marek brought up when mm-hmm. we were talking about why he felt vitamin C was so helpful because he felt it was a huge adrenal support. He says, I think because he was explaining that every other 
mammal except us makes vitamin C inherently in their body, right? We don't. We have to take it in. And that, in essence, you know, the, the high doses is what stimulates the adrenal glands. That's one of many things. So basically, okay. I mean, I would, if I had somebody with post viral fatigue and set up to give IVs, I would be giving the Myers cocktails with the B vitamins, magnesium. I'd be giving the high dose vitamin C and I'd be giving glycerized IV. These are helpful to jumpstart recovery, right. but they're not critical to recovery. So if people can't get the IVs, it's not a big deal. Okay. There's so much that people can do on their own mm. to recover, whether it's from the post COVID or not. Now, a couple things specific to the post-COVID CFS, because there are differences. Uh, each virus has its own unique flair. So you have the overview is the same, but some people will have some pulmonary scarring or pulmonary changes from right. the shock lung. And a very reasonable diagnostic device is to get a pulse oximeter. Yes, it's a that's a great idea. $50 yes. clip you put on your finger. Yes. Mm-hmm. It'll read your oxygen levels. And if you're finding that when you're walking around, your oxygen is going up and you're having shortness of breath, that is not from damage to the lungs. That's from anxiety. Mm. If, on the other hand, you have the pulse oximeter and you're running 94, 95%, you walk around, you're dropping to 92, then you are having a lung injury that's contributing to the shortness of breath. And a very simple thing for that would be to do things like the antioxidants, glutathione, things along those lines to help improve the lung function, to help it recover. Uh, for those with the persistent palpitations, the things we talked about, ribose, B vitamins, magnesium, coenzyme Q10, these simple things can really help the heart muscle energy to improve and can help that piece of it in case there is that injury uh, during the COVID. So you you give it the overall shine protocol, you tailor it to the individual for the COVID. And I think we're going to find that this is easy to treat as long as people know how to treat it. That's very encouraging news. This, by the way, is the pulse oximeter you're talking about. I I keep it handy just in case. (laughs) You never know. All right, I'm going to ask you on one last area before we kind of wrap up. And this is something that kind of, again, overlapped in my area of expertise or what I see in my practice is mold illness. And it was something I knew very little about, actually, honestly, like till about two years ago. I, I mean, as my background also in allergy, I did that. That was my fellowship training in allergy and immunology. You know, we saw typically what mold allergy. People could be in a moldy barn where there's a lot of hay. They would start sneezing, wheezing, that type of thing. Sometimes when people had floods in their basement, they again, they would go down there. They would get asthma and wheezing. And then I started getting calls to my practice the last few years because people were desperately seeking somebody that knew how to deal with what's been called now chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS or typically due to heavy mold exposure, which is a lot more prevalent than most people realize. And they tend to ignore water damage in their homes and their apartments. And what I found, again, fascinating, this is from Dr. Richie Schumacher. He's done a lot of work in this area. The overlap with the symptoms with chronic fatigue syndrome. So I wanted to get your perspective because it's just, you always have a great view on things. Where you think these patients fall? Is this, again, I mean, because he has a whole very elaborate protocol where he uses cholestyramine and very interesting. He uses certain kind of visual tests with they, to determine if they have biotoxin illness. So I just want to get your take on CIRS and, and chronic fatigue syndrome. So if you take a look, there's two other areas we probably should cover today, Dean, before okay, sure. we wrap up. Absolutely. So in the new edition of From Fatigue Fantastic, there's a very long section called Sensitive to Everything. 
Oh, wow. Because so many of you know they have sensitive everything. <laughs> so, yeah, no, yeah, you get those pages, right? They they can't walk into homes, or the stores. I mean, everything becomes yeah. their life becomes a bubble. And any treatments they take, they get sensitive, the whole thing. So right. the number one, you want to look at mast cell activation. Yes. Um, yeah, you want to know, look at too. food sensitivities. How do you distinguish? Food sensitivities, it's going to be the same food each time. You eat this, you get that. Uh, mast cell activation is totally random. You eat this food or have this right. exposure eight days in a row, and then one day you have that same exposure, and it just... No. Yeah. Um, and there's no real test for it, but it's very simple. I mean, you go ahead and the book will go through how to use the antihistamine, singular, quercetin, all the things. Right. Say, yeah, we'll look that yeah, that sounds great. And then you see if you got better and then you had it. Right. And people are very persistent. You're going to see mold toxins. Uh, one of the hallmarks of mold toxin illness is that increased sensitivity. The problem is... We don't know how reliable the tests are yet. Nobody has taken 10 healthy people and done the urine mold toxin test to see what percent are positive. And without that, it's a little hard to interpret, especially when you're done telling people, well, your test, which might be positive in 60% of people walking the street who are healthy, uh, is positive. So you have to do $30,000 worth of mold remediation to your home. And so it's a little bit of a Pandora's box to go into. But fortunately for many of the people, their symptoms predated the home that they're in. And that's interesting. Interesting. Um, And the book goes through the list. So I will do the urine mold toxin test in complex cases that are having persistent symptoms, especially if they have a lot of sensitivity. Right. And if the test is positive, the book goes through here, the six binders. The order to use. Oh, you do. Oh, great. Down. Oh, great. It's, it's all laid out. No, no, it's really nice. I like the way you organize things. You make it very clear, which is really nice mm-hmm. for the reasons I said. Your books. More people have come into my office with this book, well read, noted on all the pages, and and asking me the kind of questions that keep me on my toes. And of course, I always have you as a resource if I don't know the answer. But for people with mold issues, I strongly yeah. recommend a book called Toxic by Dr. Oh, by, Neil by, Nathan. Oh, by who? Dr. Neil Nathan. I heard about that book, yes, by Neil That's Nathan. Mm-hmm. Neil is wonderful. Neil has taken my work, Gritsy Shoemaker's work, uh, the methylation work, a host of other areas. Oh, and really? He has and combined it all? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. That's really good to know. What were the other two, one or two areas you said you wanted to get to on the Shine protocol? So it- the other thing is we talked about Shine and the biochemistry, but how about resetting those circuit breakers in the brain, the limbic system, the hypothalamus that have been clicked uh-huh. off? And releasing the emotional, almost spiritual, the muscle trauma, all of these different things, the mind-body-spirit component is essential. There's a program called the Dynamic Neural Retraining System by Annie Hopper. Uh, if you do a search online, it'll pop up. How do you spell her last name? Hopper? H-O-P-P-E-R. Oh, Hopper. Um, okay, yeah. It resets the circuits in the Olympic system. Uh, no pills, nothing like that. You just wow. get a DVD set. It's about $270. Mm-hmm. Do it an hour a day after about uh, eight to ten weeks, the circuit breakers start to come back on, although oh. it can take as long as six to 12 months. Mm. But I've seen some very dramatic improvements, and especially in people who can't tolerate anything by mouth. They're sensitive right. to everything. Yeah. Emotional freedom technique to release emotional traumas. And uh, get a book. It's a cheap, simple book called Waking the Tiger. 
by Peter Levine. It'll tell you how to release the muscle memory traumas by simply going, allowing trembling to come up when it happens. This is how mammals release mm. emotional yeah. trauma. Humans wow. suppress it. Mm. So these three simple things could do you more good than 30 years of psychotherapy. Wow. And uh, they, they act on a real physical level to release the emotional traumas and reset the circuit breakers in the brain so that your body can take over without all these pills. You know, one of the things I think is those are great uh, recommendations. And it, again, it probably goes to one of the other really things that probably we should mention stress. We, we all have it, but there are, as we know in those, those, I think it was called the Holmes Rye scale, you know, those huge events in life that are known that if you have several of them and you add up the score, there's a good chance, unfortunately, like a 90% chance you're going to develop an illness. I mean, whether it's a, a, I just had a patient that was going through a bitter divorce that was very unexpected. And I mean, all of his, we had had under control his psoriatic arthritis, his digestive issues, and now everything, you know, that and the COVID have all flared up. So I don't know, what do you recommend to patients when they're in the throes of a bit of a divorce, of death of a spouse, a child, you know? I mean, because it is going back to all this stuff with the muscle memory and the, you know, the, the mind is so powerful. I mean, if any of us, in the holistic world, know anything, it's to not appreciate the effect that has on your your overall health, your immunity. Well, the mind, the unconscious mind, really directs the immune system. Is one of the things I learned once I was paying my way through medical school, I was working as a nurse at Children's Hospital. That's why I paid my way through. And I was being rotated to the burn unit. So I asked my psych professor to train, train me in hypnosis so I could do the dressing changes more comfortably on oh, the burn wow. children. And what I learned was that if you get an acute burn and you could go into a quick hypnotic state and Go heal quickly, no injury. Just let your psyche know that there was no real harm. You won't blister. Wow. And that blew my mind. There's good reason I'm not a surgeon. I'm a Butterfingers. And I would burn myself a lot and get these big flaming blisters. Once I did that, I'd never blistered. It's just uh, the skin might turn white and hard and fall off. So the blister is the psyche's perceiving an injury and sending the immune system there to fight what it perceives as an invasion. But if you let your immune system know, no, it's fine, it'll stand down. And we are living in a time when we feel like this amorphous fear that it's attacked from everything we don't know what. And the immune system goes wild trying to defend against the environment also and the rest, and it exhausts itself. And part of helping the immune system to heal is to get to a place of feeling safe so your immune system can finally stand down and rest. There's wonderful work by Stefan Porges on the polyvagal theory that looks into it. I think this is huge. You know, I did a podcast, one of my initial ones, with Dr. Kevin Tracy here in New York. I think he's going to win the Nobel Prize. I hope he does. Mm-hmm. And his work was all on the neuroimmune reflex. He was a, he was a neurosurgeon who ended up going into research and fascinating found that by blocking the vagus nerve, that autoimmune disease went away. I mean, and it was, I think it's called the Sherrington reflex or something. I believe that's what it's called. That it was, a, it was this whole neuroinflammation pathway that he discovered by accident. They were doing research on something else on the animals. And then he said, hey, I got to, you know, and they found like tumor necrosis factor, all these things went back to normal. And again, what you're really saying too, is to get to what we call that parasympathetic state, you know, for patients to understand. I mean, people, all, all listeners, they all understand, you know, the fight or flight you know, the, um, 
the sympathetic nervous system. We all know that. We something something we hear some bad news. I know myself, oh, two weeks ago, I thought I was exposed to COVID. All of a sudden, <laughs> I felt great that morning, that afternoon. I was like, something's wrong with me. You know, and you, you just feel your body surging with these chemicals. But if you do that on a chronic basis, we know that you deplete your cortisol and your other immune-fighting chemicals. And it's to really get to that, what they call parasympathetic, more even balanced state, which is obviously quite difficult to do unless you really have... I, I really feel like unless you have a, a formula or essentially a plan to do that, I mean, you go for walks, go swimming. People, some people like to meditate. Some people pray. I mean, I think all of those things can work. You don't have, it's not one or none to, to get the benefit. So I think we're going to wrap up. I'm going to have a little summary. Is there anything else, Dr. Tyrobam, you want to add? Basically, tired, achy, brain fog, can't sleep. You probably have fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome. These are very, 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 very treatable. So that your doctor doesn't know just means that they don't know. You can get well. Uh, For those of you with chronic pain, uh, most chronic pain is muscle pain, although certainly you can see neuropathic and arthritis. And that comes from the energy crisis causing muscles to get locked in a shortened position. Just like after a heavy workout, energy is low in the muscles, they go tight. And when they chronically get tight in the body, you're going to hurt and get tendonitis and other things like that. So just know that all of these things are treatable. The problem is lack of physician education, not lack of effective treatment. Yeah, I think those are such great points. I think it's a lot of hope for patients who sometimes mm-hmm. feel hopeless. So the, the last few key points I just want to make that chronic fatigue syndrome, and they can give it different names. Now they call it systemic exertion intolerance disease, and they have a lot of names for these things, but it is a real disease. And as Dr. Taiwan mentions, a really good, well-trained doctor can help you navigate this illness with a strong, supportive team. I think it's really, it is good to try to find out to some degree the underlying factor that may have triggered because then when you can zero in more with your doctor. And I love the, you know, Dr. Teilbaum's positive way of looking at this because that is also important because being positive and having hope, as we all know, as good physicians too, has to play a role in somebody getting better. And I think also we touched upon really interesting that, you know, the COVID-19 cases of chronic fatigue, I think are going to really bring to light a lot of some of the immune pathology, especially what we call the innate immune system. I teach in the medical school this, and I think it's such a fascinating thing because we're always focusing on antibodies, but this primitive part of our immune system is possibly so important to our our health. So I just want to thank Dr. Teitelbaum again from Hawaii, taking the time to do this podcast. I'm excited for his new book, the fourth edition of From Fatigue to Fantastic, the green cover one. So try to get it and uh, good luck with everything. Thanks for, for taking the time. Well, thank you. My best uh, to you and Ricky. Be well, guys. All right. Take care. So long, Jacob. Thank you for listening to The Smartest Doctor in the Room with host Dr. Dean Mitchell. You can continue this conversation on Instagram at Dean Mitchell MD, Facebook at Mitchell Medical Group, or at DeanMitchellMD.com. 